Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Uh, Hey, my name is Spence. I'm the lead pastor here at Mercy Church and got a couple other people on stage with me. This is not a barbershop quartet situation that we are moving into right now in our worship time. Just want to make sure everybody is clear. Uh, no, what we, uh, I want to take a minute and tell you, it's a really exciting day for us here at our church. Uh, we are, uh, Mercy Church is a Christ-ruled, elder-led, congregationally accountable church. That's kind of how our leadership works around our church. By that, we mean Christ is the head of the church. That's why we submit to him. That's Ephesians 4. The church submits in all things to Christ. That's why we devote ourselves so tirelessly to making sure we are faithful to his word. And we are an elder-led church. That means we believe from scripture. Scripture says to identify men that will lead the church in shepherding them. So shepherd, pastor, elders, all the same word in scripture. And so we are led by a group of elders whose job is to make sure we stay faithful to his word and to then make sure that the people of the church are well cared for, especially spiritually, to make sure that you are growing into the people that God has created you to be. And then when we say congregationally accountable, we mean every single follower of Christ has been given the Holy Spirit and has been given the responsibility to pray for the church and to make sure together to pray and ask the Lord, where is the Lord taking us? That's all important because these three guys standing here with me today, we are presenting to you today, uh, as elder candidates, um, three guys that we believe the Lord is calling into the role of elder. And what's going to happen from here is for the next 30 days, we're asking our whole church to enter into a season of prayer over these three guys to ask for the Lord's confirmation from you. So the elders are leading out by presenting these guys. We've done a whole lot of vetting um, over them over the past several months. And now we're putting them before you for you to pray. Um, And then there's another responsibility you have. I'll get to in a second, but let me introduce these guys to you. Uh, Right here is Josh Spence. He and his wife, Mary, their four kids have been members of for a couple of years now. And then Bobby Spear, he and his wife, Missy, were on our launch team four years ago. They've got a couple of little ones. And then Joey Schwartz has been our campus director at our Providence Road campus uh, since we launched and has been around for a while now. Uh, He and his wife, Kelly, have one little one, Ruthie, who um, is adorable. You got to get to meet her whenever you can. Um, But listen, your job over the next 30 days, okay, is to pray ask the Lord's confirmation on them, and um, it's to talk with the elders of the church and say, hey, I want to tell you I do feel like the Lord is confirming, or here's something that you guys got to know about one of these guys that will be a reason why they should not be in the role uh, role of elder. All right, so if you've seen any of the three of these smoking marijuana in the parking lot, now is the time, okay? Now is your time. We're inviting you in to throw up the flag, all right? Um, or anything else, you know? Um, smoking anything else or just anything else in, in general, okay? Um, I don't know why I, I hang on that one. But um, 
Anyways, all that to say, uh, this is a huge weight. In all reality, it's a huge weight that someone steps into that role of elder. Uh, we know the enemy will do, would love nothing more than to tear down the church, and he does that often through trying to attack the elders and their families. And so I want to ask you to pray for these guys, right? Um, and also to pray for our church for that sense of confirmation. And then what we'll do is about a month from now, and we'll give you the, the date for that, but a little over a month from now, we'll have a member meeting that we'll schedule to to come together and ask for the Lord's uh, confirmation together as members will vote on these guys coming into that role. I do all that here on a Sunday morning, knowing uh, there are plenty of you who are not members of the church, but I just kind of want to let you kind of peek under the hood a little bit and see how we function. And this is our attempt to stay faithful to the word of God and to be um, elder led as we sense that's what God calls us to do. So um, I'm going to pray for these guys and then we're going to move to the next thing in our service. So uh, let's all pray together, both, both campuses. Lord, thank you for your grace on these three men. Thank you that you've saved them and saved their wives. Thank you for your grace in that regard. Thank you for your grace on our church. And we are so thankful. This morning, I can't help but be thankful for how you're moving among us. We ask that you would protect them uh, as they uh, go through these next 30 days, that we ask that you would give us collectively a sense of confirmation uh, that these are the men that you're calling to step into this role. So God, we love you. We need you. We again submit to your will and your leading. In Christ's name we pray it. Amen. 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 All right. Thanks, guys. Okay. I've been trying to think of a good transition to go from that to preaching. So that's it. So if you got your Bibles, go to Psalm 22. That is my wonderful transition skills. The Psalms um, are this rich, rich collection of very personal interactions directly with God. We try and get in those often as a church every year uh, because they are this rich uh, collection of interactions where the, the writer talks very personally, directly to God. What they do is they give us words for how we can talk to God. Right? And that's, that's huge. That, because of that, these have become kind of the, the book for corporate and personal worship for Christians uh, for thousands of years now. And that's going to be, be really big. These psalms are ready-made prayers for us to go and, and talk to God for the things that we deal with. It's going to be really big this week. This week in Psalm 22, it's going to open with a very weighty question. A very weighty question that uh, many have already dealt with. Uh, maybe some of you are dealing with it now. It's a very famous question because it is the question that Jesus asked God as he hung on the cross. In fact, Psalm 22 is often referred to as the Psalm of the cross because the Psalm begins in verse one. It's gonna say, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And so for the next two weeks, we're gonna sit in this Psalm. And we're going to talk through a really personal and what may, what may kind of represent a really painful reality for many of you. And that's the question, God, where are you when I hurt? Where is God when I hurt? When it seems like we're in a dark place and we're getting absolutely nothing from God. I mean, there, I think about this, I think there, uh, the reason this is so um, pertinent, I think of a couple of reasons why people often leave, why well, I see high school and college students often leave the faith. It's usually around one of two things. One is, you know, their new preferred lifestyle doesn't line up with their beliefs, and so they choose preferred lifestyle over beliefs. But then the second is often they know someone who is suffering, and they can't explain why. And so they walk away. And the reality of that second reason is if you haven't faced it, real suffering, 
At some point you will. At some point you will be disappointed with God. Someone you love will die or life will just not turn out like you expected it. And you'll ask, where is God? And I want to take these next couple of weeks to prepare us to answer that question. I think what will be really helpful for you is this psalm is very expressive. I mean, very expressive, very desperate. Again, it's what I love about the Psalms is how raw with God these writers get. I keep telling you, God can handle you being candid with him. In fact, maybe this Psalm will be the Psalm that puts holy words to the pain that you've been dealing with. Maybe it'll give you words to relate to someone that you know who has left church altogether because they're mad at God, because God didn't show up when they needed him. And maybe you've been looking for words and the words are actually sitting right here in Psalm 22. Now, listen, I'll tell you, it's pretty much all negative for the first 21 and a half verses. I want to kind of prepare you for that. Okay, there's like sprinklings of hope in there, but a whole lot of despair. And that's where we're going to spend most of our time today. And I imagine you're going to be able to relate a lot in these 21 and a half verses. We're going to see four reasons why people, why we often feel abandoned by God. All right, I'm going to try and lay those out to kind of help us walk through, pace ourselves through it. And I think they'll resonate. And then at verse 21 and a half, we're going to see how God answers us. And the psalm by the end of it turns into this wonderful psalm of praise. And I think you see how what feels like a really difficult dry season spiritually can become a rich opportunity to meet with God and to know God in a way that you couldn't in other seasons. Tim Keller in his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, which by the way, when I recommend a resource, especially as we're going through the Psalms, what I'm trying to do with you is recognize that a sermon, what I hope when I do is I preach is I kind of expose you and shed light to God's word and it lifts your soul and your mind, but that should be almost like a kickstarter for some of you that need to dive deeper into some things that you're dealing with. So a resource like the one I'm about to, to quote from, or maybe it's me saying, hey, we've got a counseling center that we have a partnership with. Don't let the sermon be the end of you dealing with what God begins to start up when you come talk with us, use these resources as kickstarters to really get to know God in the space that he has you in right now. Anyway, so I have to say, here's what Keller says in his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. He says, in the darkness, we have a choice that's not really there in better times. We can choose to serve God just because he's God. In the darkest moments, we feel we're getting absolutely nothing out of God or out of our relationship to him. But what if then, when it does not seem to be paying or benefiting you at all, what if then you continue to obey, pray to, and seek God, as well as continue to do your duties to, of love to others? If we do that, we're finally learning to love God for himself and not just for his benefits. That's what we're going for today, to love God and know God for God. So let's get into it. The psalm begins with that familiar question, my God my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? Again, this is the prayer Jesus prays as he's dying on the cross. He's been through the garden of Gethsemane where he prayed for God to spare him. But then he said, not my will, but yours be done. He was beaten. He was whipped. His clothes were torn off. He was nailed to a cross and hung with a crown of thorns on his head. All right, that's over in Matthew 27, from noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the whole land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? 
This is Christ's prayer. Now, I'm going to talk in a few minutes about a big, giant theological question about the word abandon and how could Jesus use that word there? Because listen to me, the cross does represent a very unique moment in cosmic history where the savior of the world dies for the sins of the world. But the Bible also tells us very specifically that Jesus is an older brother to us, that we are to look at him also not only as savior, first as savior, but also as other as an older brother who suffered like we suffer, who we can follow into our own suffering, and who chose even in his moment on the cross, in that moment of agony, to quote Psalm 22, almost to, to lead us to a place where we can be able to relate and have words for our own suffering. This is 1 Peter 2. Peter tells us that we're to kind of follow Jesus into suffering. He says, you were called to this because Christ has also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. We should suffer and look to Christ in his suffering as our model for our own suffering. So in these first 21 verses, I want to follow Jesus into that space of feeling abandoned by God. I'm going to show you these four reasons we feel abandoned and then show you how the psalm leads us to the place of worship. And again, maybe you'll relate to all of them, maybe just one. Maybe maybe what you end up doing today is just highlighting your Bible and saying, yes, that's how I've been feeling. And it just gives you words to go back and talk to God with. Anyway, here we go. Verse two, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer by night, yet I have no rest but you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Here's the first reason that we feel. We feel abandoned by God if prayers go unanswered when we know God is sovereign. Our songs, our sermons, our Bibles, they talk about how God rules over everything. And we're told that this God has a people that he loves, and and that's supposed to be us. We're his. We're told to come to him with our prayers, so we do. And we feel abandoned when it seems like this God that we know is in charge just doesn't show up. So we get mad at him. Where are you, God? Jesus prayed the same thing. All right, if there was ever a time God seemed not in control, it would be the murder of his son. He expressed abandonment. And what I hope happens as you see through these is it should bring us some comfort at this moment to know that Jesus has been there. If, there. if there's one out of these four that I can relate to, it's this one. All right. Listen, I've been in too many hospital lobbies and waiting rooms and back on bedsides where I have prayed. I've gotten tragic news. Someone's in a really bad spot. Something has happened, rushed to the hospital and said to myself, okay, God, the only hope for this person in this moment is for you to dramatically intervene and for you to show up, right? So I'm asking you to do this, God. We know you rule. We know that you reign over everything. We know that you're able to show up. So God, I'm asking, come now. Don't let my friend's baby die. Don't let this young man die from this tumor that's just been diagnosed. Don't let my father-in-law die from a doctor's mistake. Don't let my child die in miscarriage. And they all died. So this is very personal to me. I've gone to my car multiple times and yelled and beaten the steering wheel and cried tears of anger at God. Where are you God, where were you when I needed you? You ever been there? The psalmist says to God, you're holy. 
You're enthroned on the praises of Israel. And that gives me a little bit of comfort. I told you it sprinkles some hope in there because in his pain from feeling abandoned by God, it doesn't lead him to a place where God no longer exists. Instead, it's like he's standing in front of the person that was supposed to show up and didn't. And saying, hey, you were supposed to be there. Where were you? And why I say that's a little sprinkling of hope is because he's acknowledging that he is there. It just wasn't in the way that he wanted it to be. And maybe like me, that's been a hard thing for you. Again, I'm not going to fully resolve that feeling in this, in this moment because the psalm doesn't resolve it yet. It, it does acknowledge God's holiness, but then it sits in this abandonment feeling a little bit longer. So what I want you to hear is that hope is coming. It's just a few verses from now. So let's keep going. Verse 4. Our fathers trusted you. They trusted and you rescued them. They cried to you and, and were set free. They trusted in you and were not disgraced. David, our author, is talking about sinful backsliding Israel who kept constantly like running from God and then God would go and, and get them. The people who over and over didn't deserve to be rescued, yet God kept coming through for them. But listen to what he says in, in verse 6. But I, I'm a worm and not a man. Feel that, that feeling of like, I'm here in the dirt. Look, he keeps scorned by mankind and despised by people. That's Isaiah 53.3. I'm going to tell you about that in just a second. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads. He relies on the Lord. Let him save him. Let the Lord rescue him since he takes pleasure in him. The second reason we feel abandoned by God. We feel abandoned by God when, again, if we're candid and honest, when we suffer more than those who don't believe. David's saying, how could God deliver this bunch of sinners yet abandon him now? And now the world is, is looking at him and how he trusts God and the world's mocking him. Listen, a common, pe a common reason people drift away from God is because they struggle to make sense of why do all these bad things happen to good people? And the bad people seem to be spared. Now, look, I, I'm not, by the way, trying to create some simple thing where like, believers are good and unbelievers are bad. That'd be way too simplistic and binary. Listen, and plus believers all know that they're sinners. All right. But there's this belief that, that Christians have this belief that, that we have the power of God with us because we have the presence of God with us. And so we call on it. And what we're talking about here is this feeling of, but then it doesn't show up. And, and the non-Christian, we, we look around and we're like, wait, they're dealing with the same stuff that I'm dealing with. They're not relying on God, and they seem to have it better than me. If Christians are going to suffer the same or, or worse than a non-Christian, what's the point in believing in this God? And that's, the, that's where that feeling of abandonment by God comes from. And let me pause for a second and show you something in those verses. Can I show you that when Jesus quoted verse 1 on the cross, he was tipping us off to the fact that this whole psalm is about him. Verse 6 Isaiah 53.3, the suffering servant who was scorned. Verse 8, right? Casting lots for clothing, tearing of the clothes. That's all the people surrounding the cross. Or, oh, excuse me, that one's even coming. This is where they're mocking him. They're mocking him in verse 8. And all the people are surrounding him on the cross. You got the passers-by. You can read this in Matthew 27. You got people passing by who are just scorning him, mocking him. You've got the people who are killing him, mocking him. The criminals who were crucified next to him were mocking him. The crown of thorns was a form of mockery. All right, king, let's see your God work now. 
And again, we, we haven't reached resolution yet. Still the pain of feeling like God isn't there. Still the question of God, where are you when I hurt? But what I want you to hear is Jesus has been there where everyone left him. Not only did he say, God, why have you abandoned me? Everyone left him and the only people left were the, one mocking, the ones mocking. But I want you to know there's hope coming for you. Let's keep going. Verse nine. It was you who brought me out of the womb, making me secure at my mother's breast. I was given over to you at birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Don't be far from me because distress is near and there's no one to help. When we have followed the Lord for a long time, we've tried to do so faithfully. When our lives have been marked by obedience and trust in the Lord, we've chosen his ways. We've really sought him. And then it feels like, okay, and now I'm at the moment where I need him. He's not there. That's the third reason people feel abandoned by God. We feel abandoned when our faithfulness is repaid with his abandonment. It's the thought, I've served God for years. Come on, where are you? This is a very common feeling among de-churched people, those who used to be Christians, used to be around church, but walked away. When surveyed, what they'll often say is, no, 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 I didn't leave God. God left me. I was, I was waiting, and he left me when I needed him. In fact, maybe that was you. Maybe you're sitting here today wounded and skeptical, and for some reason or another, you managed to make your way here, uh, but you're wounded because you feel like God left you. This is usually the person who just got spiritually tired of being spiritually tired. You've been my God from day one, but what good has that been? And they drift. And what I want to tell you this morning is that hope is coming for you. Let's go to the last one, verses 12 through 21. I'm going to select a few from here. Verse 12, many bulls surround me. Strong ones of Bashan encircle me. I'm poured, listen to these words, listen to the imagery. You might be putting, you, this might be where you are. I'm poured out like water and all my bones are disjointed. My strength is dried up like baked clay. A gang of evildoers has closed in on me. Look at this. They pierced my hands and my feet. That's John 19, 34. That's Revelation 1, 7, talking about Jesus. They divided my garments among themselves. Verse 18, that's Matthew 27. That's Mark 15. That's Luke 23. That's John 19. This is talking about Jesus. There's comfort there that this is first about Jesus and not about us. They cast lots for my clothing, but you, Lord, don't be far away. My strength, come quickly to help me. Rescue my life from the sword, my only life from the power of, the, of these dogs. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of wild oxen. Okay, um, fun little, maybe a lighthearted Bible note, because most of this is pretty heavy, that horns of wild oxen. Okay, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, that word is monochroneo, or unicorn. That's right. Unicorns are evil enemies of Jesus. Okay, so be encouraged, little ones. Sorry, I had to give us had to give that to you, and now on we go. Um, because look, let's let's be real about those verses, right? They are filled with with aching right? Almost to the point of death. And there's this feeling that wasn't in the other ones of the enemies 
My enemies are circling around me. They are, they are attacking me. I'm feeling this attack. And God doesn't seem like he's this shield around me that we talked about last week. God seems far away. You ever felt that way? These people are hurting me. I'm asking you to intervene and, and nothing. They just keep on hurting me. This is the fourth one. We felt abandoned by God when people hurt us while God seems far away. This one maybe more than the other puts words to some really deep pain you felt in your past or maybe in your present. For all you've heard about how God, his great deliverance of his people, you've asked for it, but you've been hurt. You're being hurt. Some of you have been so deeply hurt by others. And maybe nobody else other than you and the one who hurt you even knows this. Here's what I know. The statistics are sad and alarming. One in four girls, one in six boys will be sexually abused before they turn 18. That's hurt. One in five women, one in 71 men will be raped at some point in their lives. That's deep hurt. And because sexual assault is a form of victimization, particularly stigmatized in American society, many, many victims, most victims suffer in silence, which only intensifies their pain and makes God seem further and further away. And I know, I know that not only the stats would say that there are people here who deal with that, some of you have been brave, courageous enough to share your story with me, and I know that's a, a real thing for some of you. And yet there is hope, even still. Psalm 126, 5, those who sow in tears... What does that mean? Those who, who pray and get before God in tears will reap one day with shouts of joy. It's Romans 8 that says our present sufferings, which Paul is not going to make light of our suffering. He's not going to trivialize suffering. He's going to say, no, our very present and real sufferings are somehow not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us one day. Hope is coming. And that brings us to the second half of the psalm where the psalm does a dramatic shift, which is why we're here. This is what we need. We don't want a psalm that just ends in abandon, a feeling of abandonment. And if you've been silently doubting God, I want you to see from everything that we just walked through that, that that's okay, right? Doubt is often a response when our faith is tested against the realities of this world. But doubt is also a foot poised. Poised to take a step closer to God. Because as you've seen this whole way, the psalmist is not walking away. He's pressing God for an answer. God, I'm feeling abandoned by you, but I'm still here. I'm still asking for help. And he doesn't ask once. You see that in the psalm? He asks many times. Job asks 37 chapters long, he keeps asking. Jesus tells us to be like the persistent widow who refuses to stop knocking until God answers us. And maybe the big thing for you today is going to be to keep asking God to answer you. When Jesus invoked verse 1 of Psalm 22, he knew it had this shift down in verse 21. He knew, even as he hung on the cross, that Psalm 22 didn't end in betrayal and despair. So listen to the three words at the end of verse 21. You answered me. You answered me. After the psalm has sunk down to the lowest depths of hopelessness and loss, there's rescue. 
And if you've resonated at all with the feeling of abandonment up to this point, verse 21 is especially for you. It's not just because David, the psalmist, finally heard an answer from God, though we should acknowledge that. It's not just because it's the character of God to never leave his people, though we should be comforted by that. It's because of the cross that you should find encouragement today. Because we Christians read the Psalms and all the Old Testament through the lens of the death and resurrection of Christ, and that's especially important this morning. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? There was something happening there that will never happen for us. The reason he goes up on the cross is to be a substitute for you and I. The message of Christianity at its core is that the wages, the penalty, the earnings of our sin is death. What we are duly owed for our rebellion against God is death. And that death is physical, but not just physical. It's physical. That's why our bodies break down over time. Eventually we die. That's because of sin. But we also deserve death spiritually. And spiritual death is eternal separation from God the Father. It's hell. Eternal punishment for our rebellion against God. And all of that is often summarized as the curse of sin. What makes the the cross so unique in all of history is that Jesus is stepping in And saying, instead of you and I experiencing that which we deserve, he's going to take the curse of sin for us. That's what Colossians is going to tell us. He's going to become sin who knew no sin. So in what can only be described as a divine mystery of how it happens, Jesus, who was always perfectly united with the Father, experiences abandonment by the Father so that the Father's wrath for sin can be poured out on him instead of on us. It's not the manner in which he was killed that makes his death so unique and tragic. Plenty have been crucified and plenty more have died even more horrendous deaths. It was what was happening in his death that makes it uniquely awful and uniquely powerful for us. He made that cry of God abandonment so that no child of God would ever truly be abandoned by him. He drank to the dregs God's judgment on sin so that no son or daughter would ever have to drink one drop. And that means Christ, who went to a torment beyond what we could ever go, has secured the presence of God with us no matter what So we can say with Isaiah, Isaiah 53, 5, he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities, punishment for our peace was on him. We are healed by his wounds. You see the effect of his punishment and of his wounds? It's peace, it's healing, it's restoration back to the Father. That's the effect of our permanent union with God, which allows us to say this with the Apostle Paul. Listen to this. As I say it, maybe you in your own heart and mind need to just be repeating it and reading it. As I say it, it'll be on the screen. What can separate us? Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it's written, because of you, God, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, 
No. In. Not in spite of. In. In the middle of all this suffering, in the middle of all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's right. You need to celebrate that, church. Listen, yes, Christians hurt like everyone. And we deal with seasons of doubt and disappointment. But in them, in the middle of them, not in spite of them, in them, we can actually draw close to God in a way that we couldn't otherwise. Especially in a season that feels like silence from God, we can learn to love God for God. We can take comfort knowing Christ has not only been there, but has been further to ensure that we would never have to go there. I want you to leave here with great hope that you can know for certain the God who said he would be with you always is with you even now. In Christ, he is answering your suffering even now. And he has promised to be with you, Matthew 28, to the very end of the age. And right now in this moment, this is how you learn to, to love and trust God in the silence. You look back. You look at the cross. You look at what he has done. And you look at that in John three sixteen, that familiar verse, for God so loved you. That's the cross. It was an act of love towards you that ensured you would never have to go there. And so you look back and you say, surely the God who did not forget about me in Christ's darkest hour would not forget about me now. You look back. You look forward to the day. That's Paul in Romans 8. You look forward to the day where one day suffering, pain will be no more. Tears will be no more. And you take hope looking back and looking forward. This is the heart posture. This is the, the vision mindset of the Christian. Hope because of what God has done, hope of what he is going to do. And then in the middle of it, we come back to our prayer in Acts 3.20. We continue to confess our sins to God, and we continue to believe that a season of refreshing is coming from the presence of the Lord with us. So if you're in that spot where it feels dark, where it feels like God is far, he has secured you on both sides. And he tells you he is with you. You keep knocking as he's called you to do. And refreshing is coming. Next week, we're going to pick up more on what we, we do with this. But I, want, I have to read you verse 22. See, the, the turn was only three words. You answered me. And then the rest of it goes into praise. Look at verse 22. I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you in the assembly. And we can say, you answered me in Christ. So I'll praise you in my suffering. You know this to be true, Christians. Nothing ignites faith in us like seeing a brother or sister in Christ choose praise in the middle of suffering. 
That, 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 will, that leads, often leads non-Christians to who is this God that you would praise even when it seems like he must not be there? I want to guide you through a brief time of response to this. It's going to be kind of a, basically four prayers that we can pray that connects that feeling of abandonment with the truth of the gospel that allows us to feel what we feel. It doesn't push it down nor let those feelings drive the steering wheel. It puts them in the place, like we said last week, we put those before God in the presence of the Lord and we deal with them through the truth that God has given us. Maybe you need to write them down and walk through them this week. But here's, I, I tell you what, why don't we just begin to, to pray? Would you, both of our campuses, bow your head, close your eyes. If you need to, to glance up at these, however you want to do that as they come, I'm going to say them as well, but I want you to talk with God. I want you to be candid before God. And if this is not you, if you feel close to the Lord, I want you to pray for others that are feeling this. Pray that the, the truth of the gospel would rest on them, that the spirit would refresh them this morning. Here's the first one. God, I feel abandoned. But the gospel tells me you're with me even now. All you're doing there is praying truth. God, I feel abandoned. But the gospel tells me you're with me even now. Would you pray that to him? The next one is, God, I feel betrayed. But the gospel shows me the death and resurrection of Christ as the payment, the substitution for my sin. It shows me that you are faithful and you're faithful even now. You're faithful now. That might be a hard prayer to pray. You can pray, that, pray it in truth. Pray it for that person you know is doubting God's faithfulness. God, remind them that Christ's death, Christ's resurrection says he has won victory over the suffering. You are faithful even now. Remind them, Father. Next one says, God, I feel like all is lost. Maybe that's where you're at. Maybe your hands are up in the air. That despair is on you. All is lost, but the gospel says you've won the victory for me. If you're not a Christian, as we're praying here, listen, that is the only thing we Christians have to cling to is that we can't, we can't just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and, and go through it. So many of us have been down that road and at best, we just harden our hearts. We grow calluses. How do we actually find healing through suffering? It's through the, the cross of Christ. 
where we see that Christ has suffered so that we might not suffer separation from God. But healing is found in the presence of the Lord. And he has won that for us. And you can pray right now if you're not a Christian, God, I believe Christ died for my sins. I want, God, I want you and the healing that you bring. Isaiah said it's through your wounds that I'm healed. I need that healing. God, I believe that Christ died for me. I believe he rose again. I believe that was for me. You tell him, I believe it now, Father. Thank you, God, for saving me. And here's the last one. Here's the last one. I will praise you, Lord, in my suffering. That's what the psalmist says. I will praise you, Lord, in my suffering. Can you pray that? In fact, maybe as a a way to transition out of our time of prayer, actually, maybe as a way to stay in it, I want to ask all of us at both of our campuses to stand right now, still praying, but standing and saying, we will praise you, Lord. Let's continue to pray together. Let me pray over you. God, we will praise you, even in our suffering. God, that is a, as an act of faith. And I know that some who are barely able to stand because of the weight of their suffering, because of how far you seem right now, God, we, the church, we will praise you on their behalf. We will hold up their faith for them and ask you, Father, restore their hearts, refresh their souls. We know you are close. In our weakness, we ask that you would help us to to feel it again. Thank you, God. As we go and we sing, hallelujah, I'm not alone, we say, thank you, God, that we are not alone. God, may the, the praise of your church be worthy of you of your glory and of your love and of your grace and of your unending faithfulness towards us. We worship you, we praise you, even in suffering, through the mighty name of Christ, amen.